Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today our guest is a former standout of Australia's National Basketball League. But to our non-Tasmanian listeners, you may know him better as the United States Secretary of Education. He is the man behind Race to the Top, the face of American public education, and our honored guest today. Welcome to the EdCast and back to Harvard, Secretary Arnie Duncan. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Secretary Duncan, the name of your speech today is called Fighting the Wrong Education Battles, and I'm going to jump right into the tussle and the images of that title. Most important battlegrounds, who's fighting who, and your role as ed commander or general in this sort of national level. Well, I think for far too long our country's been paralyzed fighting battles that are like the Hatfields and McCoys, where uh, mutual self-destruction, nothing productive going on. I think the, the battles we need to fight are with educational failure. The battle we need to fight is with a dropout rate that's too high, and all of our energy has to be to, to uh, doing whatever it takes to ensure that every single child has a chance to get a great education. And the sort of the traditional battles, you know, management versus unions, charters versus district schools, whatever they might be, um, there's just zero upside there. Talk about the imagery, though, using fighting and battles. I mean, are, are we as sort of education reformers, are we supposed to be warriors? Uh, um, that's a great question. So I, I think we are collectively supposed to be warriors on behalf of our nation's children. But again, I want to make sure we're not fighting each other. <laughs> I want to make sure we're fighting the common enemy. And I worry uh, a lot about the, the time and energy and resources that have been gone into unproductive battles that have very little to do with reducing dropout rates and making sure black and brown children and poor children have a chance to get a great education and making sure our nation can collectively educate our way to a stronger economy. Let's talk higher education. The costs kind of seem to be going up and up and up. This is an issue obviously discussed during the State of the Union. Can you paint us a picture of college or university access 10 years from now, if nothing is done? Is college just for the children of post-IPO Facebook employees? <laughs> These are great questions. Uh, the president and I worry a lot about this. And I think if you survey the public today, it's not just folks who are living in poverty, but many middle-class families are starting to think that college is just for the wealthy, it's for rich folks, it's for folks who don't look like them and don't live near them. And that's a huge challenge as a country. Uh, we have to, again, lead the world in college graduation rates. To do that, we have to make sure college is accessible and affordable for everyone. It is the ticket to the middle class. And if we don't do some things differently, this problem is just going to become uh, worse and worse. It's going to be exacerbated. Um, we have to challenge the status quo. We have to challenge universities to keep their tuitions uh, reasonable. And we have to challenge states to continue to invest. And we want to be a great partner at the federal level. And we've tried to put in unprecedented resources, the biggest increase in Pell Grants since the GI Bill. But all of us have to come to the table. No one gets a pass. The federal government, state, uh, state governments, as well as colleges and universities themselves. And today you're going around Boston talking to a lot of college presidents and uh, government officials. I mean, how do those conversations start towards making college more affordable? Well, I think everyone recognizes the sense of urgency. I had great conversations with about 15 college presidents and then met with a couple hundred college students and I think there's a growing awareness that universities have to become more efficient and to be real clear it's not just about access it's got to be about completion and making sure first-generation college goers and English language learners and students on Pell Grants aren't just going to universities but are attaining or graduating at the back end um, technology can do some things to help and we need states to step up and be part of the solution so again this is not about pointing fingers or laying blame it's about all of us coming together and saying this is the only way we're gonna have a strong environment 
vibrant economy. It's the only way we're going to keep jobs in this country is if we have the best educated workforce. And uh, we can't just continue to sort of watch this thing spiral out of control. Kind of focusing on the, the educational battles and the fronts out there, uh, what isn't the media covering? What should get a lot of attention that you know your your department's really proud of and really happy with? Yet no one seems to touch it because it's not sexy enough, or the media doesn't touch it enough. Well, it's interesting to me. Uh, Race to the top has gotten a, a ton of press, which is fine, and that was four billion dollars for the for the entire country. We've also put about four billion dollars behind our effort to turn around the nation's lowest performing schools, our school improvement grants. Uh, that was. Uh, $4 billion for the bottom 5% of schools. It's a massively disproportionate investment, not in the status quo, but in a very different vision of reform. For decades, our country just sort of watched on the sidelines as we had dropout factories where every single year, 30, 40, 50, 60% of young people would drop out. It's as if we just didn't think that poor children or black and brown children could be successful academically. Um, now, across the country, we have over 1,000 schools being turned around. And we're going to see some amazing success stories. We're going to see some struggle. But to me, this is just a, a fascinating uh, story that's playing out in real time. Actually just left a, a wonderful uh, turnaround school today earlier uh, here in Boston. And I think the media has missed uh, the, you know, the, the controversies, the hard work, and uh, the progress that the country is now making in challenging the status quo when educationally we were actually perpetuating poverty and social failure. Interested to talk about education schools and graduate schools of education. They're sort of changing, not necessarily in mission, but in some ways in action and an approach. How do you think education schools can improve or adapt to the sort of varied needs of education reform? What is, what is the innovative ed school of the future? Well, I, I think there's so much going right here at Harvard, and I think Dean McCarthy's doing an amazing job uh, of providing leadership here. But I've been, frankly, very tough uh, generally on schools of education around the country. And I've been tough simply because when you talk to great young teachers and survey young teachers from around the country, about 62 percent, almost two-thirds, say they felt unprepared uh, to enter the classroom. And I, I always say that if 62% of our doctors were reporting they were unprepared to practice medicine when, when they uh, started their work, uh, would have a revolution in this country. But somehow in education, that's been okay. And as I talk to hundreds and hundreds of great young teachers around the country, the two largest complaints they have are one, just not enough hands-on classroom experience, managing a classroom with children. Lots of theory of education, lots of history of education, lots of philosophy of education, not enough actual education. The second thing is, in the past five or 10 years, there's been this explosion in the availability of formative assessments, using technology to understand not what I'm, what I'm teaching as a teacher, but what are my students actually learning. Helps teachers differentiate instruction, do small groups, reteach where they need to. So many of our uh, professors in schools of education have been out of the classroom for 20, 30 years, and they're not teaching that to, to folks who are learning the craft. And so those two things, an emphasis on classroom, hands-on, practical experience, and using technology to, to drive instruction in much more creative ways, those are the two overarching complaints I hear around the, the nation. We have a lot of Facebook fans who are really excited about you coming to the Ed School today. And we uh, you know, said, if anyone has questions for the secretary, please submit them. This is from Helen Ann Ireland. She writes, any thoughts on the Finnish schools and their success with test-free zones in the elementary years meaning no standardized tests, only formative classroom assessments. Yeah, Finland's a, a really interesting uh, country, and we look at not just Finland, but Singapore and South Korea, and there are many countries today that are outperforming us educationally. Um, Finland has uh, m 
much, many fewer standardized tests early on. They do have some significant uh, tests at the back end to, to coming out of high school. But what's most interesting to me in Finland is only the top 10% of graduates are allowed to enter the profession. And the other 90% can't. It's a much smaller country, uh, less diverse, less poor. They actually only have about eight schools of education. Um, they have very, very rigorous training for that top 10%. But I think one of, the, uh, one of our challenges going forward as a country is we lose a million teachers towards retirement, a baby boomer generation coming out. It's can we have less teachers from the bottom third of classes and more from the top third or ideally the top 10% like in Finland. And our ability to attract and retain great talent over the next couple of years is going to shape public education for the next 30. It is literally a once in a generation opportunity and we're going to spend a tremendous amount of time the rest of this year and hopefully for the next five years thinking about how we attract and retain great, great talent um, to come into education, but particularly in historically disadvantaged communities. Next last two questions are not going to rely on your education acumen, but your sports enthusiasm. <laughs> how far did the Harvard men's basketball team get in the NCAA March Madness this year? Make your prediction right now. Boy, put me on the spot here. This is the hardest you, question. Il well, elite I, I, Eight, I'm just give really them some hope. I'm really excited with what they're doing. I haven't seen a game uh, this year. I'm actually going to go to Princeton Saturday and, and go check them out. I think uh, Coach Amaker is just doing a fantastic job. So I think let's not get not put the cart before the horse. Let's, uh, let's get into the tournament first, which is uh, you know, a long way to go. Um, and if they, but if they do that, if they get into the tournament, and uh, I think they will have a chance to, uh, they've played some big games against uh, big time programs and more than held their own. So I wouldn't even necessarily call them, you know, big upsets. I think they have a chance to compete with anyone in the country. But um, again, let's focus on, you know, just one game at a time now, and uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And last question, and thank you so much, Secretary Duncan, for doing this. Any possible federal stimulus to help a broken Patriots nation? <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, my. My son turned eight uh, four days ago, February 2nd. We got him a Tom Brady jersey. I don't think he took it off the past four days, and we had a, a broken-hearted young eight-year-old in our house. So uh, uh, I'm definitely feeling the pain. They'll, they'll be back, though. They'll be back. Thank you so much. Secretary Duncan, you have been a, a true champion and warrior for education. We appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for the opportunity, and thanks for the great work you guys are doing. It's fun to be a part of. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.